The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy, and today's guest is Lisa Riley, the Chief People Officer at PTC. And we're joined by Rob Byron, my Keystone colleague for this conversation. Lisa and I go back over two decades. We grew up in this function together, and this is her first CPO role, and she talks about that journey to get here, although I'm not surprised she became a Chief People Officer. I could see it coming long ago. She also talks about PTC and how they use digital to transform the physical and with their 7,000-person global organization, how they create a culture of innovation. This is an amazing guest and an amazing company. You'll really enjoy hearing from Lisa. She is a very pragmatic leader. Next up on our podcast is an HR thought leader we all know, Josh Burson. And now our conversation with Lisa Riley. Lisa, it's so great to have you on the podcast, finally. Great. Thanks for having me. We met 22 years ago. I looked it up. You were at Fast Company Magazine. I was a newbie at Keystone Partners, and here you are, the Chief People Officer at PTC. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it. Time flies. Already a year into your new role. Very exciting. And we have my colleague, Rob Byron, joining us here for the podcast. Great to have you here, Rob, as well. We start every episode learning a little bit about our guests earlier life. What's a moment that you think was an inflection point for who you become as a professional? I really stumbled into HR in the early 90s. And I was fortunate to meet somebody within the company sort of took me under their wing and recognized that, okay, this is department of one, totally learning on the fly, which is amazing opportunity, but connected me with an HR consultant who had been a CHRO. So I ended up establishing an amazing relationship, both using her consulting services as well as a mentor over the many years I was there and then many years beyond. So, you know, for those that are listening that are early in their career, tip number one is (laughs) know what you need and somebody who sat in that role. So it's really fortunate that you got connected to a person. Yeah, because I actually don't know if I'd be here today, right? Uh, So she really helped me navigate those early days, and it was a safe place to sort out, what do I like about this role? It was a generalist role. What do I not like? What could be next? But really, the moment that unlocked my path in HR came a few years later. I would say it was mid late 90s mm-hmm. and I was reading an article in a magazine as yeah, we used you ended to do. up in the magazine business of course and it was an article about how the model of HR was shifting based on David Elrich's model for strategic HR mm-hmm. business partners when I landed on that page and I was looking at all those COEs and the models that some companies were adopting with his support and guidance and thought leadership the strategic HR business partner role just jumped off the page. And I said, there it is. I literally ripped that out of the magazine, (laughs) you know, stuck it on my bulletin board, as you would do for inspiration. This is my blueprint for my career. This is it. I was in Southern Maine at the time at a really small company. So I started looking and searching and talking to people like, where can I find this role? But it was so early on in that movement to the HR business partner model that I couldn't really find a lot of companies locally that were on that model at the time. Right. Uh, I knew I needed a bigger market. 
companies that could really sustain and support that model and have those roles really carved out mm. and kind of strip all those other COEs off separately. So my big first leap of faith started with that article. Months later, I ended up picking up and leaving and moving to Boston without a job, without a place to live. I had a good friend who let me stay on her couch, so that's good. But, you know, that was really not my personality to do that. Everybody thought I was crazy, but I knew I was so confident. I knew what I was looking for. I knew that I could get it there. So I landed in Boston. That's when we met right around that time, yep. 22 years ago or yep. so. And I had a couple of other roles, which were great roles, but it was probably three years into my time here in Boston that I landed that strategic HR business partner role. And the irony is it was at Motorola, ah. which is a pure coincidence. I wasn't stalking them. Right? <laughs> it's just a coincidence because right. they were so early on in adopting that model. Right. And had a nice long run there and then on to Cisco after that. So, yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised you ended up at a chief people officer role because having gotten to know you back then and hearing about the things you were working on. And it was always this advisor to whoever the business leader was like you were in the strategy meetings, you were coaching them, you were guiding them. And so I saw that and I'm not surprised you ended up in this role. Let's talk about this amazing building. You were so nice to have Carolyn give Rob and be a tour yeah that was fun that and was we learned so much about <laughs> this technology the way the physical and the digital world comes together through your technology can you talk a little bit about the space first and then about the exciting products that we saw absolutely yeah it's a great space here in the seaport it was four years ago that they moved from Needham to here, and it really was very intentional to put us in the innovation district, so to speak, to build a space that really exudes that um, power to create. We'll keep talking about that more. Mm -hmm. You get to see it. You get to touch it. You get to see the products we create and really create a space that encourages that type of culture of innovation. So Right. And there's also a digital component where even if people aren't here, because I know you're very global mm -hmm. now, you can share with your customers and employees yeah. To show the products. Yeah. And, and yeah. How, right. How and, it, and that was the journey they were on before COVID. So you can imagine that certainly all of that helped us out when we had it to be completely virtual. As the business is changing, maybe you could talk a little bit mm -hmm. about the scale of mm -hmm. your organization. Where are you around the world? How many employees? Mm -hmm. And what's the next chapter for PTC as a as an organization, as mm -hmm. a business? So we're about nearly 7,000 employees globally. We just completed an acquisition um, and closed on that about 500 people a few weeks ago. Here in the seaport, it's a little over 1,000. It's a minority of the employees are yeah. actually right here in Boston, right. this location. And the rest yeah. are global. We have a big office in Pune in India, about 1,500 people there. 30% mm -hmm. you know, or so of people in, are in EMEA, spread across multiple offices, Romania, Germany, et cetera, and then in Asia as well. In next chapter, what is the vision for the growth or product development? What's exciting about the future of mm -hmm. PPC? PTC is a software company that enables industrial companies to transform their physical products with our technologies, right? Using the digital to transform physical. Back to our logo. Right. Yes. The P and the D. So I know. I said it looked like two hands coming together, but it's a P and a D. It's that's a P and a D. That's right. So we help companies transform how their physical products are engineered, as you saw, manufactured or serviced, right? right? That's what I love about introducing PTC is like even watching your face, Dave, because you've been around, you knew Parametric probably in Needham. Sure. And to see the evolution and to see what this company has become, how they have evolved their products to disrupt the market and to stay ahead and to keep innovating and keep innovating 
And when you sit and you hear that story and that timeline as a new employee, you go, wow, what's to come, right? right? We've we've rode this innovation wave. And I too, before I came, had taken my eye off of PTC. And when I heard the story, I thought, oh my gosh, like that's the place I want to be. So creative, so innovative and successful. I want to be part of that. And then that confidence it gives you on what's to come. I mean, just that pattern of innovation and disrupt yourself and disrupt the market, it continues right. into the future. So That's great. How would you describe the culture? What's important to your employees, your colleagues about the way they interact with each other mm-hmm. and the way they work together? Mm-hmm. It really is defined well in our purpose statement, which is the power to create, which we've you've even heard already. Yes. The fact that it came into our conversation upstairs mm-hmm. without prompting is a really perfect example that I didn't anticipate for today, but how that is really living and breathing. And so I say that because, you know, purpose statements and core values, we've all worked at companies where it's, you know, it truly is a piece of paper or sure. it's really on the wall. But it's not so, really. But it's not really. And you're trying to reverse engineer it all the time into things. Right. But you got to experience it. The first person you met within 10 minutes brought that up. And it really does guide how we work in a way that I've never experienced. You know, we have five core values. They really do guide our work, whether it's customer first or excellence innovation or PTC for all. Yeah, it actually reminds me, I had the opportunity to go give a kickoff at our the acquisition that we just closed um, in California a few weeks ago. It's a hard one to explain your culture. I mean, right. obviously, we're a tech company. We, we innovate. We create software. So you can kind of get a sense for it. So what differentiates you, right? right? But I didn't hesitate to start with the slide that says power to create with our five core values because we have so many proof points to talk about what that means, how you will see that show up. Your first week here, you're one month in, in the products we produce, in your experience here. And I can say that with confidence. I mean, our internal engagement survey, we build around those values, right? And we have scores that are amazingly high. And that gives me confidence knowing I can tell the acquired company that's coming in, like, this is how we're doing. We measure it. Everybody has improvement, of course, but I mean, we're really high on our internal engagement scores, which only helps us when it comes time from a brand perspective, right, to have employees take all those surveys that come at them. And there are a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm always saying one more survey, you know, please, if you will. Yeah. And I get personal notes back from people saying, I'd love to. I'd be happy to share my pride in the company and what my experience is here. And, you know, because of that last year, we applied for great places to work and we were certified 16 countries our first time, which was awesome. First time out. So we're awaiting the results from this year. So hopefully we'll get a few more countries under our belt and and around the world. We win a lot of awards in India, Boston Globe, Space of Works. The culture really does speak for itself, but we're able to back that up Mm. in the experiences um, and the products and our customer impact. And you said there's also like a play together culture here, too. Can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what does that mean here? Yeah, we have monthly socials and there's a high degree of social connection. You know, it's a 30 year old company, so there's a lot of longstanding relationships with people here. So it's Mm. a very, a very connected culture. I mean, we are embracing hybrid as well and certainly have found the balance around that. But as you can see, it's a bit contagious. I'm sure you want to come back, right? Yes, Already? absolutely. It's yeah. I want to leave. <laughs>
Is there anything, Lisa, that you, when you think about your values and you think about the culture, is there any example that you like to share with people, like something that happened here, like, oh, that's PTC? You know, we're giving our employees the power to create these innovative products and solutions that keep getting better so that our customers can then have the power to create amazing products for their customers who end up being the humans on the other end of it. But we don't sell to the humans, right? So pulling that all the way through to show our products from a storytelling and a customer impact, the end customer. Right. How does it change people's people's lives? lives And the world, Right. right? right? So you saw a little bit upstairs, but our customers range in industry anywhere from aerospace and defense to energy to industrial to life sciences and medical devices to automotive right so when you think about it i have the fortune of sitting next to the cto quite a bit and i love hearing him talk about our products to people saying you probably have encountered ptc products from the moment you woke up Till right now, and you don't even know it. We you're, might have touched ten PTC right, products. You're, today, maybe you have a chronic air toothbrush right, right yeah. in the morning, or right. maybe you wear Invisalign or right. your car, or maybe you turn on the news and you saw something with NASA and Artemis or the nuclear fusion breakthrough a few weeks ago. I heard about that. Was yes, was designed with our products. Wow. So there's so many products. The news story doesn't come, or the advertisement doesn't come. Developed by PTC software. It's don't, not worry, in there. don't worry, we sent press release out <laughs> to remind everyone. Um, that's where it sort of backs into your question about yeah. how does it show up and feel and you feel PTC because people are starting to really get to know that. They're connecting to that. And it's super powerful. Yeah. It stays with you and it helps you tell the story. That's great. Well, let's talk about HR a little bit. All right. So when did you first think you wanted to become a chief people officer? Is this something that you pursued? So that idea for me only started about four or five years ago. So I've been in HR my entire career, 30 years, (laughs) feels long, that 30 years now this year. (laughs) But there was a moment when I was in a, you know, again, a great role, global HR business partner, lining up to a big function, you know, nothing to complain about. But I felt like something was missing. What was missing for me was that I had been in these global HR business partner, really rich and meaty roles that were awesome. But I'd been in that same sort of role for about 15 years. So while they continued to have more opportunity, more challenges, different challenges, at the end of the day, it really was the same role. Still learning. Great. Mm-hmm. When you're in a big company with in a global HRBP role, you are quite distant from other large COEs that are broad and deep. And they have a lot of people who are doing ideating, creating solutions and programs that then HRVPs are sort of the go-to-market arm are taking to their client groups. That piece of my brain of really wanting to be part of the ideation. The bigger picture. Yes, yeah. It became louder and louder for me. Mm -hmm. And so I started to listen to it, not ignore that. And then at the same time, the company I was at was you know, trying something different with their HR model. And I actually could see where what I valued most in the role I had was going to shift in a direction that I was like, oh, I don't think that's where I want to go. I probably called you. (laughs) Here's what's happening. We grabbed you to work at Keystone a little bit during (laughs) those transitions. Like another podcast guest, Susan Mealy, Mm -hmm. um, you spent a little time consulting with us. I learned some really valuable lessons. 
But rather than think about like, okay, you know, I got to get out of here. I need to find this job in another company. I really kind of sat and, okay, what is the work I want to do? What does that experience look like? So I knew two things. I knew that in order to progress my career, my peers needed to be COE peers because my peers in these other roles were people who had my job in other functions. So great people, smart people, fun people, but they were global HR business partner leads for this function, for that function. Mm -hmm. So they were doing the same job as I was doing, Mm -hmm. always learning from them for sure. But I wanted my peers to be the head of total rewards, Mm -hmm. the head of talent. So what that told me is I knew I needed a smaller company where that could be the model where maybe I do leverage my experience in global HRBP, but I do it in a smaller company where my peers are, you know, in different roles, different functions. And I wanted to report to the CHRO. So I knew two things. And that's one of my other points of advice to put it out in the universe. You know, that's one thing sometimes people are afraid to say, like, find the safe place. If it's not in your own company, if you don't want to say, hey, I really don't like what I'm doing. I'd like to do something else. Find a place to kind of work that out to figure out, you know, what you want to do next. So I started putting it out into the universe. And, you know, I think it was like a year later, honestly, where the opportunity to join PTC came and HR was on a transformation path. I took a peek at what the company was doing and I said, oh my gosh, I love that. I joined in sort of the beginning days of the pandemic, which was kind of an interesting time to join, Um, but joined to help with the transformation that was underway. It worked, it (laughs) hit all those boxes that I was looking for in the next role. But it was that move and why I share that because yes, you're probably thinking it was still the HRBP role, but it got me closer because I wanted to get a closer look at the role I'm in now to say, is that a role that I want? You know, I needed to know my seat was too far away. Um, I needed to look at it up close. Did you have any concerns coming into the Mm -hmm. chief people officer Mm -hmm. role? What were your worries, I guess? You know, stepping into the role, I knew I had to go, you know, very deep on the COEs, you know, much deeper than I was just sitting as a peer around the table. Mm-hmm. In deeper meaning in how I work with them? In deeper in understanding, because oh, okay. overnight you become the spokesperson, the leader, you're guiding, ah. right? You're representing them oh, and you want to represent them well. Yeah. yeah. At any moment, in any forum, you're representing what's happening in that function, decisions that yeah. are made. How much does this cost? What is that, right? right? What's that contract? What's this? What are you thinking here? You know, in hindsight, if you think it could be on the radar, and again, it's not rocket science, but getting those experiences that round you out, because there are things that you will have to go deep on quickly at the same time of being in a role that has a lot of other demands. So you're juggling a lot. Is what you're yeah, saying. you're yeah. juggling a lot. And I think the other surprise is your stakeholders blossom or bloom or explode, maybe is a better word, yeah. overnight. Yeah. You yeah. know, your stakeholders before, mostly your team and your peers and your internal customers. And then that sort of just amplifies overnight where the demands on your time from employees, your own team, your own org, the leaders, the executive team, the boards, you have to, you know, really quickly get your arms around prioritization of what's first. Right. It was anything um, a little bit easier than you expected moving into the chief people officer role or just surprisingly good thing? One of the biggest challenges I found was you have to keep all the gears running together. You know, when you're in transformation and you're transforming a lot within your function, keeping everybody on the same page of 
what's happening when and why, both with your leadership team, with your organization, and the amount of communication and role clarity and understanding of operating model while you're also trying to bring the business along and the executive team and the CEO, right? Like keeping all of those gears in motion is more of an operational Mm -hmm. aspect of the role that I think you don't see until you're in it because you only see it when it's not working. Uh Trying to balance transformation with operational rigor and excellence is something that we've been really focused on because it's part of any transformation. It's really critical that you can kind of trip on each other's shoelaces with no malintent, but, you know, even on our own team, it's just how do we know we're doing well? You know, how do we know when we're not so that we can sort of regain our step? How do we know what's coming? But you like, it sounds like you like that. Yeah. One thing I learned really quickly also is that transformations are not a straight line. You will, you know, take a step back here and there. You can't get everything right in transformation. And so there are little experiments in there, right, that fail. (laughs) Yeah. And when you accept that as the learning moment, (laughs) and it's really just about how you respond, how you regain your step and how you recover and how we learn. So that to me was another big learning because I think transformation, you think, okay, we're here and we're going up. And it's like, well, yeah, the line looks like that in the end uh, when you draw it, but it's definitely a little bit of ups and downs. And I think being explicit about that with the team, once I observed it, has been helpful because then it doesn't feel like it's a pass fail. It's we're going to do things and we're going to make adjustments. And that's why they call it work. (laughs) Right. We have my colleague at Keystone, Rob Byron, here to join the conversation. And remember, in good standing at NERA. And uh, Rob will be asking you the nearer question or questions. He might have more than one uh, of the podcast as we do every episode. Hi, Lisa. Thank you. You gave a lot of great advice and tips along the way. But if we could wrap it all up, what advice would you give to a rising HR star who aspires to be in the CHR role? Mentoring is very popular in most companies. There's ways to do it. There's systems of matching and, you know, all of that. When I think about the mentors that I've had, they've been pretty specific to what I needed in that time. So I think there's always goodness in a mentor. If you're in a mentor program and you get matched up with someone in a random match, that's great. There's goodness that can come out of that. Yeah, I would just suggest to people that you think about there might be something really specific you need, right? Sometimes those mentor matching things are great and there's goodness in them, but kind of know when you need something specific in terms of situationally where you are and really share exactly what's going on. What excites you? What doesn't? I find for me personally that over my career in hindsight, the things that frustrated me the most were actually the things that I was innately good at. It was easier for me to do and it was a passion area. So listen to both what excites you, but also listen to what's frustrating you because sometimes it's because your passion around that or your interest and your natural interest in it is there that you should actually pull that thread a little bit more with somebody. I think the other big thing um, that I would advise people is to know that sometimes your biggest growth comes from either the the biggest leaps of faith that you take. I've taken a few leaps of faith, you know, getting up and moving or stretch assignments. And I know it's a, a little cliche and we always talk about, oh, you don't have to have 100% of the skills to do the role. And so what I would say about that, and at least for me, and maybe other people can relate to it, is that, yes, you need domain expertise in any role to a certain extent. I think what's really helpful when you think about any gap you have in experience, let's say you feel you have 60, 70, 80% of a, a role. Why did people take 
a chance when I knew, when it was clear I only had 60% or 80% of the demonstrated capability to do that role, why would they take a, a leap of faith? I think it's the how. If they have observed you, and this is easier internally than it is externally, of course, when you're right. coming as an outside right. candidate, yeah. but if they have seen how you think, how you approach the work, how you collaborate, that is where the trust is built. And so sometimes that gap of, well, you don't have that. I have yeah. the I have the faith that you're going to go get the what yeah. to add to because you know it's there. You see the gap. And I have trust in you and how you approach your work that I have trust you're going to decrease that delta per se. So I would encourage people to think about those gaps um, and be really mindful about the how, because I think that can make a you know, a 30 or 40% gap feel like a 10% gap to somebody if you have that sort of trust in how you approach your work. Um, but I didn't really come to that till I thought of the question in hindsight. So again, thank you for that one. And always, always, always build relationships and keep at it. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Lisa. That was great. Just as a follow-up, if you could write a letter of professional advice to your 25 or 30-year-old self, what would that be? I would tell my 30-year-old self to be aware of how success is defined in HR. And this comes from my short stint at Keystone where I did some consulting work. But when you're on the outside and you're doing consulting work, it becomes really clear how your work is evaluated. But when you're internal, you lose that bit of lens a little bit. And it has stuck with me so much. Seeing how your work is valued outside of your product. Yes, you can complete a roadmap and you can have domain expertise, but see your work through your customer's eyes. That success in HR needs to be balanced and be viewed of how how do your customers, your internal customers, experience your work as the ultimate sort of measure of your success. You can launch programs all day. You can do a ton of things in HR, but if they're not landing well, they're not well understood, they're not adopted, and they're not having that ROI in the business or with employees, then all you really did was launch it. That is something that I would write in the letter to myself is that be careful not to give your give yourself credit too soon, that always see your work through your stakeholders, um, because they really are the ones that are the ones evaluating your work, right? And and yeah. and, uh, and experiencing your value. And it's really similar to the best talent review. I've told my team, whether I had a team of five, a team of 10, 25, and now uh, over a hundred in HR, that the best talent review I can ever go into is when I don't have to speak because the people around the table have experiences with you. If I'm doing the talking, I'm pitching you. Right. So make sure you're mapping out who your stakeholders are. Make sure they have the experiences of your work so that I don't have to talk. And I learned that early on when I had to pitch a lot of people one time. I said, this doesn't feel good. Right. Like you all got to get out there and make sure people know who you are. You're building relationships and you're articulating the value of your work. They feel that value. So that's a piece of advice that I would give myself earlier on. Lisa, I really like the way you said that. I don't think we've had any guest on the podcast that said that quite that way. But I think you're right. I think that working as a consultant gave you that different lens and then coming back in and saying, oh, mm-hmm. how are they valuing what we do? Mm-hmm. Lisa, what's something you want to make sure you don't leave undone here at PTC or in mm-hmm. your career as you look mm-hmm. you know, five years into the future? Mm-hmm. 
Well, here at PTC, we are on a transformation and those are long. They don't happen overnight. They don't happen in 12 months. They don't even happen in 24 months. So really trying to help continue that journey of transformation and really land it with our own team and with the business so that we feel like we understand our operating model mm-hmm. and we're kind of humming along and it's that's a dream it's so a, we'll it's get a there. big one and yeah, you we'll are going to get it done get it sounds there. like i want to do that internally and then beyond that doing more mentoring in hr is just something i have now said okay i need to make more space for this in the future because it does give me energy and enthusiasm lisa what's your favorite artist performer i really do love all music but in particular i really love live music everything from a street performer all the way to you know concerts and in between and the genres just all over the board the last two live music events i went to were the boston pops and lady gaga so you can see that it's running. Right contrast. I, I love yeah. the symphony, um, <laughs> but I also love performers who are like just crazy talented. I was driving my teenage daughter to see Lady Gaga. I was not intending to go. She was a new driver and it was at Fenway Park and I dropped them off close to Fenway and I'm driving away and I can feel the energy. I parked the car. I'm walking to Fenway. I've got my phone out trying to find where can I get a ticket that's yeah. not going to be crazy at this point. Because I just like, I got to go. I got to go to the concert. Yeah. I got to go. What was I thinking? Uh, and I'm outside Fenway Park. Literally, I can hear the opening act coming. And there was a problem with my ticket on the service that I bought. I finally get in. I text my daughter and I said, I'm here. I parked the car and I'm here. And she was like, what? She said, please, you're not coming to sit next to me, are you? But my friend. Yeah, it would be very helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, no, no worries. I'm like randomly in some other section uh, by myself, which I, you know, have done from time to time. It was a great show. It was a great show. Yeah, that's cool. And if you could go to dinner with anyone, who would it be? I have to say, being in this role for the past year and being at PTC and joining during the pandemic, if I could have dinner with my entire org that's global and I could fly them all here, it would be amazing. I've certainly met the people that are here, but you know, we have over a hundred people, 130 people or so around the world total. And a lot of them have not met each other. I haven't met any of them yet, and that would be the best dinner. Well, I, I think that's gonna happen um, someday. I hope to make it happen, yes. Well, Lisa, it's been so great having you on the podcast after knowing you for 22 years, and I'm excited you're in this role. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.